Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? You know what? No. Good. Great. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) I've never been better. I was just letting you hear the sound of silence. Oh. And that's not not artificial or forced. It's actually that quiet in my house right now because my kids are in school. (laughs) Yay. Yay. A first for both of us. All of our children are in school, like, full-time now. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so we were talking about when to record, and we're like, we have so many more options now that the house is empty during the day. We can record during the day instead of doing it at, in the evening, which is what we normally do. So I like yeah. recording in the day because I feel like I am a little more fresh in the day. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm always, this is whenever I'm worried people are going to start doing their yard work and stuff. Like that's where the animals are going crazy. I just heard a bird chirping and it was (laughs) everything I could do not to scream at the bird, but I'm like, that's just the bird living his life, Melissa. They don't really care about the podcast. (laughs) But no, I agree. I like doing uh, daytime stuff. It's nice because nighttimes, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. There's, are you like this? I'm sure you are. Uh, I think most people are. We're at the end of the night. Like once I get home, I'm, you know, running errands, whatever, get the kids home, make dinner, do dishes. And then as soon as I sit down, it's almost like my body has molded into whatever surface I'm sitting on and I 100%. can't get up again. It's yes. over. <laughs> yeah, that's me for sure. But I feel like that happens to me, like you said, right when I get home 
you know, from bringing the kids home from school. And it's really a little too early in the day for me to just sit down and turn into the couch. But. <laughs> to call it a night at 3.30. <laughs> yeah. But that's pretty much what happens around here. Yeah. So I totally get that. Yeah. Ugh. Well, hey, we're here. We're we're in the middle of the day. This is a crazy story and I'm looking so forward crazy. to getting into it. Yes, me too. And this is kind of cool because it's been a while since we've done a non-murder story and there is no murder in this week's episode. So that's always a little bit exciting. I feel like kind of a break, a little bit of a break from the really heavy stuff. Yeah. So as true crime content consumers, we all know that sadly, not all cases are treated with the same level of attention and urgency. Sure, there are the occasional sensational stories that go viral around the country, but the large majority of crime stories are untold or unheard of because they didn't spark enough attention to take off in the media. Typically, the stories that gain national attention are those that have some element that make the case more unusual or more perplexing than other stories. The case we're discussing this week is one of those stories that instantly took hold and became national news. It was all hands on deck and every nose to the ground in April of 2005 when Jennifer Wilbanks suddenly disappeared just four days before she was supposed to get married. Jennifer Wilbanks was 32 years old when she went out for her nightly walk around the neighborhood at about 8.30, but she never returned. Her fiancé, John Mason, was concerned enough by 10 p.m. that he started calling around looking for her. He first called her family and they said they hadn't heard from her. And then over the next few hours, everybody got together and started looking for her themselves. At 1.30 in the morning, now on April 27th, John finally called the police to report Jennifer missing. He told them that she had left with her radio and the clothes on her back and nothing more. Her keys, credit cards, and ID were all still inside of their house, and it was clear that something was very, very wrong. Jennifer and John lived in an Atlanta suburb, and both of them were very active and enjoyed running marathons. In high school, Jennifer actually ran track, and she was a cheerleader. Jennifer had grown up in Gainesville, Georgia, with her twin brother, Matthew. Their family was actually really well-known in this area because their mom, Joyce, owned a long-standing sporting goods store called Satterfields, and their uncle was the former fire chief. But at the time of her disappearance, Jennifer was living and working in the Atlanta area. She was a medical assistant at Heritage OBGYN. John was the same age as Jennifer, and he was the office manager at Mason Primary Care, which was a medical facility in Duluth, Georgia, and he also taught Sunday school and coached the church's youth basketball team. John's family name of Mason was apparently a pretty big name around Duluth. His grandfather, Dr. Miles H. Mason Jr., was the first surgeon at Joan Glancy Memorial Hospital, and he played an instrumental role in the early success of that facility. There's even a local elementary school named after him there. John's father, Claude, was the mayor of Duluth from 1978 to 1983, and he was also an attorney who occasionally served as an associate municipal judge. So definitely big names in the community. Yeah, Mandy, I have a question for you. Sure. If something was going to be named after you, this guy got an elementary school and even like was helpful in this hospital, what would be named after you? What would you like to have named after you? A really nice park. Oh, I like that. 
Yeah. That's sweet. Okay. There has to be like a pond. It can be man-made. I want like a lake or a pond. <laughs> I, love <laughs> I love that you're like, listen, if there's not a natural one available, yeah. if you need to dig up some things, I'm totally cool There better be water there, no matter what. <laughs> well, it's Florida. So if it, if it was in Florida, I'm assuming that's part of your dream for it to be in Florida. Of course. Mandy Park. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like yeah. that. That's good. That's good. Animals yeah. nearby? Obviously. Of right? course. And, and if there's none there, bring those in too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your man-made... Your man-made pond with – are you cool with, like, robot animals or would you like those to no, be No, no, no. They have natural. to be real. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. They have to be warm-blooded and cuddly, even though you, you don't cuddle them. <laughs> <laughs> but at my park, you never know. Anything could happen. <laughs> I'm glad to see you have a line there. Okay. What about you, though? Now I'm curious. <laughs> oh, I – my first thought is library, and that doesn't even make a lick of sense. <laughs> I just feel like that's what people uh, have things named after them. I'd probably say like um, a small restaurant, like just like a little, a place that serves wings. That's what I want. There Name you go. A place that serves wings after me. Melissa, Melissa's Wing House? <laughs> Melissa's Wing House. There's probably no kind of issue with licensing that whatsoever because it sounds <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't trust a Melissa's Wing House. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. So back to the story. So now we are at the point where it's four days before John and Jennifer are set to be married. And this is a really, really big wedding. As we just said, both of these families are pretty big and well-known in the areas that they're from. And there was a guest list that was 600 people long, and there was going to be 14 bridesmaids and 14 groomsmen in this wedding. So this was the talk of the town. Yeah. I don't even have 14 friends. I would have to start hiring people to stand in. They do that. Have you heard of that? There's like services that that people do that. Yeah, I would (laughs) I would totally have to. But luckily my husband has like two friends, so this was never gonna be an issue for either (laughs) of us. (laughs) So by 1 p.m. the day after Jennifer was last seen, there was a command center that was set up and more than 250 people were actively searching for her. So the searchers included police, volunteers, helicopters, and even tracking dogs. Although Jennifer ran the neighborhood every night, she didn't have a set route that she took, so the search was more focused around the immediate area of her home and her neighborhood. For days, the whole town was really consumed with the search. Jennifer's photo was circulated in local newspapers, and word about her disappearance was plastered on telephone poles and in shop windows. Officers went door-to-door canvassing the area, just hoping to find someone who saw or heard something, but they found no leads. Jennifer's friends and family told investigators that she wasn't the type to just run away, and she was happy and extremely excited about her wedding, and she was looking forward to marrying John. I will say I don't think I've ever heard of a missing person story where they say she wasn't the type to leave. Like, I don't think anyone thinks somebody in their life would leave, so that's, I don't ever hold a lot of weight in that. There was immediately some speculation that Jennifer may have just gotten cold feet about the wedding but her family insisted that Jennifer did not have any premarital jitters and that this was not a case of cold feet. Even John was dismissive of this cold feet theory. He pointed out that Jennifer literally only left with the clothes she was wearing and a radio, leaving behind her identification and her money and credit cards. He said, quote, if this is cold feet, it is the weirdest case of cold feet I have ever seen, end quote, which I haven't seen that many cases though. How many cases have you seen here, (laughs) sir? Right, exactly. I know I haven't seen like a whole lot of cases, if any, where somebody's actually just up and disappeared, right. like, the, you know, just ran away. But I can see what he's saying with that. Like, she didn't take any money or anything with her that she would need to to get very far. Sure. So 
of course, then your next thing is something terrible must have happened to yeah. her. Yeah, for sure. And there was really no reason to believe that Jennifer was apprehensive about this wedding. Her friend Kelly told the Associated Press, quote, she was so in love. The wedding is huge. It's the talk of the town. Everybody knows her and was so excited, end quote, which just in that quote, I can find like four reasons I would be nervous. Um, <laughs> that's a lot going on. It seems like a lot of pressure. So the reverend who was providing premarital counseling to the couple also said that they were really crazy in love, and he saw no signs that either of them was unsure about the marriage. On April 28th, the search continued with more than 100 volunteers joining to help the police. At this time, bloodhounds were brought in, and they focused on a five and a half mile radius around Jennifer's house. Even though Jennifer just went out for a quick run, they knew she was a marathon runner and could probably cover some ground quickly. So they decided to expand the search area beyond the immediate area around her house. While searching, investigators did find some articles of clothing, but forensic testing showed that the items did not belong to Jennifer. They also found a clump of hair that was consistent with Jennifer's hair, but it looked like it had been cut off and not pulled out. Later on the 28th, two churches held vigils for Jennifer, and John hosted a vigil at their home. His parents, Jennifer's parents, and other friends and family were there with John. So rumors started running rampant around town with many people questioning whether Jennifer had been abducted or even if John might have had something to do with her disappearance. But the people who knew John and the whole Mason family said they felt pretty sure there was no way he was responsible for whatever happened to Jennifer. They believed that she had to have been abducted. Investigators had no evidence of foul play, but they were considering the case to be a criminal investigation anyway. John, of course, was an immediate suspect, because the boyfriend or husband always is. But people were especially on high alert because the Lacey Peterson case just happened a few years earlier, and it was still pretty fresh in everybody's minds. The Lacey Peterson story kind of set a precedent for the husband being involved in this kind of thing, because if you remember back to that case, he pretended to be a loving husband, he was worried sick about his missing pregnant wife, yet in the end, it turned out that he was responsible for her death. People wondered if this was the same thing, and if John had hurt Jennifer and then reported her missing as a cover-up. John denied having any role whatsoever in his fiancée's disappearance, and he even agreed to take a lie detector test to prove his innocence. But he did say that he would only do this under the conditions that were outlined by his attorney. This is actually a really smart move, but it made John seem even more suspicious. Right. By this time, the media had taken a huge interest in Jennifer's disappearance. The story literally went viral overnight. So just to demonstrate what we mean by that, if you search the newspaper archives for Jennifer's name on the dates of April 26th through April 28th, there's only two results in total. But if you search for her name on April 29th alone, there are over 206 results from newspapers that are all over the country and even some that are in Canada. Whoa. Yeah. The police were aggressively pursuing every lead and asking a lot of questions trying to get to the bottom of it. John had an interview with Greta Van Susteren on Fox News, and the tone that she took with him was kind of more interrogating than sympathetic. She was a little bit accusatory. She matter-of-factly asked him, quote, any reason why the two of you didn't run together last night, end quote. John told her that Jennifer didn't like to run with him because he was a talker and he liked to talk when he ran and she didn't like that. Which we've both decided we've never met people like this. 
I've never met anybody who likes talking while they run. I mean, I've met some people who are talkers and that can work out and hang out at the same time. That's not me. That's there's just no way. I don't want to be talked to. I don't even want to be looked at. Don't Thank even look you. my direction. You know, just I'd rather you weren't in this room. Thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So Greta later said that she was pursuing the story so aggressively because of its unusual nature. And of course, not knowing how the story could turn out, she wanted to be one of the first ones, you know, who had kind of a grip on it. Nancy Grace also weighed in on the story and said that her intuition was that Jennifer did not get cold feet and run away on her own accord. The huge rush of media attention ended up turning Jennifer's family really like turning them off entirely, and they stopped speaking with the media. On April 29th, police announced that they were calling off the ground search for Jennifer. They had exhausted every resource and left no stone unturned and still had no proof of anything to show that a crime had even been committed. After the search was called off, Jennifer's family announced a $100,000 reward for any information that led to finding her. Even though investigators had no proof of any foul play, John still had a lot of attention on him. He eventually turned in a privately conducted lie detector test, which he did pass, but the police told the media they still wanted to speak to him and they would like for him to take a police-conducted polygraph. John, however, said that he would only submit to that if the test could be recorded. And the police pretty much told him that there was no police agency that would ever allow that, so John did not take the test. Good for him. I yeah. don't blame him. I don't blame him either. And I kind of find it a little weird that they're like, yeah, there's no way we would ever do that because why not? Why wouldn't you record it? What would it ever hurt? Actually, exactly. if there is something it would actually hurt, somebody please tell us because I would like to know because to me for that sure. seems like that should be a standard practice. Absolutely. Just to protect everybody on all sides, right? Like that's kind of one of those like Absolutely. double. It's kind of like it's for everybody. It's for them. It's for the police. It's for everybody's benefit to have totally. it, to have a recording. But yeah, that's kind of odd to me that they said that that wasn't a thing. There were actually countless people that stood up for John, and they told the media that there was absolutely no way he was involved in this. One of Jennifer's friends said, quote, he's one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. And another friend said, he is a big teddy bear. The Mason family's management consultant even said that John was one of the most upstanding, decent Christian men he'd ever met. Days went by, and despite there being no sign of Jennifer, no one thought to cancel the wedding. The family kind of hoped that Jennifer would come back, so they just kept everything as planned, and they said that if Jennifer didn't show up for the wedding, they would hold a vigil instead. But in the most bizarre turn of events, neither a wedding nor a vigil ever took place, because in the wee hours of the morning at around 1.30 a.m. on April 30th, John got a call from Jennifer. And we're going to get into so many more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I'm always itching for something new to binge, and this week I'm scratching that itch by watching The Thief, His Wife, and the Canoe on BritBox. This four-part series really has everything, including deception, fraud, and mystery. The series stars Eddie Marson, who plays a former teacher named John Darwin, who finds himself in need of cash. John decides his only option is to not only fake his own death and cash in on his life insurance policy, but instead of getting out of Dodge, he has the gall to move into the home next door to his family after his wife successfully convinces everyone, including their sons, that John passed away. 
The series is based on this unpublished manuscript about John Darwin's story, and I'm really on the edge of my seat watching. I'm about to start the third episode, and I'm totally enthralled with the story and how, over time, John's wife Anne becomes complicit in his lies. Sign up for BritBox now to watch The Thief, His Wife, and The Canoe, and other exclusive true crime and true con shows. We have a special limited time offer for our listeners. 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use our promo code MOMS at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Use promo code MOMS at BritBox.com. The school year is in full swing, which means getting good sleep is less of a luxury and more of a necessity. And thanks to my sleep number bed, I know good sleep is finally mine. And now's the perfect time to get your sleep number bed because they're having the biggest sale of the year where all smart beds are on sale, including a 50% savings on a 360 limited edition smart bed. The older I get, the more I realize how important sleep actually is. You can eat well, exercise, and drink all the water you can handle, but if you're not getting good quality sleep, it's really not going to cut it. Your brain needs a chance to recharge, and getting a good night's sleep on a sleep number bed is the perfect solution. I prefer my sleep number at a 30, but I'll change it up a bit when the mood strikes. Last night, I slept at a 92, which may be my highest score yet, and I'm feeling really great. After a workout, if I'm feeling a little sore, I can change my number down to a lower number like 25, and I'm in for a softer night's sleep. One of my favorite things about my sleep number bed is that it's customizable to me. I'm not stuck with the same firmness or softness every night. Thanks to the ability to change my sleep number, I can have a different experience every night if I want, or just change it for my preference at the time. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because every great day starts the night before. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were telling the story of Jennifer Wilbanks and how she went out for a run one night and never came back. This was four days before her wedding. Of course, her entire family is very worried for her. Her fiancé, John, has been really put through the ringer with the police thinking that he is a possible suspect. And things are just getting really crazy. It's now the night before the wedding. And Jennifer calls John from a payphone. So she told John that she had been kidnapped while she was out on her jog several nights earlier. Jennifer said that a white woman and a Hispanic man in a blue van drove up behind her and grabbed her from behind and cut her hair. Jennifer told him that she was also sexually assaulted before being driven to the 7-Eleven where she had just been dropped off by these kidnappers. So my question is right off the bat, what is the point of cutting her hair if they're just releasing her? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they're trying to bring her out with them and make her look different. They're like, we'll do this to you and then cut your hair and just release you. Right. And then my other question is the way that she's saying the story, like, okay, well, that doesn't explain how you've been gone for four days. Like, you know, where, like what else was going on in that time? The way she makes it sound, it's like, oh, this happened. And then immediately they took me to this place where I'm calling you from. But at this point, it's been like days that have passed. So it's like, what else has happened in that time frame? You know, where have you been this whole four days? So Jennifer said that she believed that the people who abducted her may have seen all the media coverage that was going on and got scared. So they let her go. She said she didn't know exactly where she was, but that she could see a Domino's pizza place nearby. After hanging up with John, Jennifer immediately dialed 911 and said, quote, I was kidnapped in Atlanta, Georgia. The call was then traced to a 7-Eleven off of Route 66 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
the stretch of road where she was found is described in the research as being seedy or kind of sketchy. So the officers were dispatched to this gas station and they recognized Jennifer from all the news reports and they immediately called the FBI and took Jennifer to the station where the agents came to interview her. For three hours, Jennifer talked to the agents and told the story about what happened to her. She first repeated the kidnapping story, but as the officers listened, they noticed that there were some inconsistencies with what Jennifer was saying. They also felt that it looked as though Jennifer had cut her own hair. The agents pressed Jennifer a little harder, and in really no time at all, she changed her tune and just outright admitted that she had been lying. Jennifer broke down and said that it was never her plan to run away. She just decided to do it on the spur of the moment. She said she started feeling really overwhelmed about four days out from the wedding and felt crushed by her to-do list, and she was worried that she didn't have time to do it all, and she felt compelled to get away. So she went to the Greyhound bus station and got a ticket to Las Vegas, which is a two-day journey from Atlanta, and she left on that bus at about 10.30 p.m. that same night that she went missing. After arriving in Vegas, Jennifer decided to go to Albuquerque instead, so she took a bus there. When she got there, she called a taxi to take her to a hotel, but the taxi driver told Jennifer that she might have a hard time finding a place to stay because there was a big convention in town and many of the hotels were full. So he offered to drive her to another area where there were some smaller hotels that might have some vacancy. So he took her down to this area and dropped her off, and Jennifer got out and walked a few blocks where she ended up at the 7-Eleven, and that's where she made this collect call to John. Once Jennifer finished confessing, she was allowed to shower, and authorities gave her a fresh set of clothes. And then Jennifer called her parents to tell them the truth first. Later, she was escorted to the airport where she boarded a plane as a crowd of photographers tried to snap pictures of her. She covered her face with a striped towel, and this image was shared all over the world. If you feel like this story might be a little bit similar, you're probably picturing this photo in your head right now. Essentially, this really went viral, even though it's 2005 and viral isn't what viral is today. Jennifer seemed oblivious to the magnitude of the situation, and she gave no indication that she was aware of the media frenzy and the massive search effort on her behalf. Police told the media, quote, she's obviously very concerned about the stress that she's been through and the stress that's been placed on her family. She is very upset, end quote. So as you can imagine, Jennifer's family really experienced this wide range of emotion. They find out she's safe, which is wonderful, but then also they're dealing with the truth that she did make up this elaborate tale saying that she was kidnapped and all these people are searching for her and everyone's been worried all this time. And some of that was that there was a little embarrassment about the truth of the situation as well. However, the reverend who was supposed to perform the wedding ceremony said that John didn't have any hostility towards Jennifer for doing what she did and running away right before the wedding. He said, I've never met such a strong person in all my life. He's an incredible man. When the media learned about Jennifer being found, the coverage of her story increased because everyone wants to know more about this woman who lied about being kidnapped. Not everyone was happy about all that airtime, though. Many felt that Jennifer shouldn't get any attention and that she was really taking up this precious space where there were other cases that actually needed attention. So that point, actually, that you just made about how, 
you know, Jennifer's case is getting attention and other cases that are really more important and more legitimate are not getting attention because Jennifer's case is taking up kind of space in the media. So Haley, our researcher, actually researched this case for us and she does research for some other podcasts as well. And she was telling us about this other case that she has been working on for the podcast Voices for Justice. This is the case of Nikki McCrown. So it's kind of relevant. Well, it's relevant in the way that it has like a similar idea about the media picking and choosing cases. Right. So this woman, Nikki, um, was set to also have a huge wedding in August of 2001. But the wedding never happened because Nikki disappeared after leaving a Richmond, Indiana laundromat on July 22nd, 2001. So at first, many people thought that Nikki was just a, quote, runaway bride. But months passed and there was no sign of her anywhere. And then in November, her car was found abandoned in a parking lot 45 minutes from her home. There was no DNA evidence in the car, but her clothes were neatly folded in the back seat. Nikki is presumed dead, and her case remains unsolved to this day. Throughout the years, Nikki's family has talked to the media about their frustrations with how little national attention her case has received, while people like Jennifer Wilbanks and Lacey Peterson were featured on the front page of every newspaper. So we now know that this occurrence is also known as missing white woman syndrome. Everybody's probably heard that term before. Um, But this is meaning that the media has this history of focusing their attention on missing person cases involving young white upper class women or girls. And then there's a lack of attention given toward any other type of victim. The National Institute of Justice reports that on any given day, there are as many as 100,000 active missing persons cases in the United States. Every year, tens and thousands of people vanish under suspicious circumstances. But yet in 2005, the media focused on Jennifer, who was missing for four days and was found alive and well. The harmfulness of missing white woman syndrome is really obvious in the case of Nikki, because she, like Jennifer Wilbanks, was soon to have a huge lavish wedding with lots of bridesmaids when she disappeared. Yet Nikki wasn't on the national front page news because she was a black woman. So instead of reporting on people like Nikki, the media continued reporting on Jennifer and her fake story, a case that didn't really need any more attention now that Jennifer was no longer in danger. But Jennifer's story was really sensational and it led to more views. So the media ran with it, all while ignoring Nikki and countless others. And we have more to get into with this story after another quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. If you're looking to start something new or learn something new, you should check out Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn knife skills with Gordon Ramsay, improve your communication skills with Robin Roberts, or learn how to design stunning floral arrangements with Maurice Harris. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is so much closer than you can imagine. I recently took Joanne Chang's Bake Like a Pro class and made truly the greatest chocolate chip cookies I've ever had. I was able to follow the step-by-step directions thanks to the notes on Masterclass, as well as actually watching her and following along. It works like a charm, and not only were these cookies truly incredible, but I was able to learn more about the basics in baking that I can carry on to other recipes, from simple shortcuts to things that should never be a shortcut. They're skills I've learned and can't wait to apply in the future like to pie crust. One really great feature of Masterclass is that you can watch them on your phone, the web, or a smart TV. And you can even listen to them just like you're listening to our podcast. And all of the classes are taught by world-class instructors who are in the top of their field. Plus, each class is broken up into these individual video lessons that are usually about 10 minutes long. We highly recommend you check it out. 
get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Moms and Murder listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash moms and murder. That's masterclass.com slash moms and murder for 15% off masterclass. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. If you could only have one vehicle for the rest of your life, how would you take care of it? Maybe you'd buy the premium gas or not ignore the lights that pop up on the dashboard. Well, our brains are actually pretty similar to cars, so why aren't we taking better care of them? BetterHelp is like maintenance for your brain. BetterHelp Online Therapy is therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. You can do your sessions at times and in ways that work for you. There's no need to be on camera if you don't want to. BetterHelp is also more affordable than in-person therapy. Plus, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. I look forward to checking in with my therapist over the phone, never on video, and just working through things that have come up or ways to deal with my anxiety and triggers I can work through. Having my BetterHelp therapist has been a huge benefit to me over the past several years. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com moms. That's betterhelp.com moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking a little about the disappearance of Nikki McCrown and the attention that was going to cases like Jennifer's that were pretty much solved within four days, as opposed to cases like Nikki's, who really were not getting any of the media attention that Jennifer's was. So pretty quickly, though, authorities in New Mexico announced that they weren't going to be charging Jennifer with any crimes since she recanted the kidnapping story so quickly. So Special Agent Bill Elwell said, quote, we looked at all the factors. People react to things in various ways when it comes to stress, end quote. In Georgia, however, there were some people that felt that Jennifer should face charges, If for nothing else than the fact, then her lie wasted a lot of resources, taxpayer dollars, and more. 
Some people felt she should face criminal charges for that aspect of things. Think of the people even that came and volunteered their time to help in this search. Yeah. Like 250 people, that's a lot of people to leave their jobs, leave their families, whatever, to feel like they're doing something to help somebody who just ran away. But at this time, the Gwinnett County DA, Danny Porter, said it was too early to talk about criminal charges, although he did admit that he did have some questions. He said that he was under the impression that Jennifer panicked and ran, but he said that if this was a premeditated act, then he would consider pressing charges. He wanted to find out whether or not Jennifer planned the whole kidnapping story when she left for her jog or if it was pre-planned. It seemed kind of crazy that Jennifer would have taken a pair of scissors with her to cut her hair, and if she didn't plan any of that, they also wondered how she got to the bus station. There actually wasn't a station in Duluth where she lived, and so she had to travel a ways to actually get to the station that she left from. So then they wondered, you know, was someone there to give her a ride? The DA said that based on the information they had, the only crime she could be charged with is falsely reporting a crime which was a misdemeanor with a maximum of 12 months in jail and a $1,000 fine. Some people felt sorry for Jennifer and believed that she was truly under incredible stress before her wedding. There were 600 guests counting on her and she felt like she was under immense pressure, so she panicked and ran away. I can go on record saying that I am not in this camp, but others (laughs) had zero sympathy for her. It was the way she handled really this aftermath that made people angry. Her disappearance really made the whole town worried sick. And I'm sure they're also thinking, oh my gosh, there's a kidnapper out here taking people off the streets. That's terrifying. So people in the community rallied together to do whatever it took to find her. One cafe owner who donated coffee and sandwiches to searchers said that he was happy that Jennifer was safe, but that this was one of the most selfish, self-centered acts he'd ever seen. For sure. Yeah. He said that he saw Jennifer's parents and the anguish in their faces when they believed that she was gone, possibly forever. A local woman told the Atlanta Constitution, quote, I understand getting cold feet. Calling the police and saying she's been kidnapped is kind of squirrely. She scared everybody to death, end quote. I totally agree. And I don't understand where you get off doing that to your whole family. Like, I get it if you're just like having second thoughts about the wedding and you're kind of like freaking out. But like, I feel like if you're going to, like, ghost your fiancé and just take off and leave, like, wouldn't you tell someone else? I don't know. How could you do that to your parents and your family? Like, that is crazy to me. That's the craziest part because I can't – I don't know. I mean, yes, people – like, things come up. People get emotional and, like, they do crazy things at times whenever they feel, like, under a lot of pressure. But to make your mom and dad think that you were either abducted or possibly dead – knowing that like you're just fine and you just want to get away from the stress of everything like I just I don't understand how you can do that to your family and you're gonna pop up in a few days it's not like her plan was to like gone girl herself and run away forever she just was like I need a few days and then I'll come back before the wedding right it just doesn't make any sense and she also took the opportunity for everyone that was going to attend that wedding to not have the bride show up and then have a story that they could tell later Right. <laughs> so selfish. Exactly. I know. I really just don't understand it. Me either. So on May 9th, Jennifer finally released a statement through her church's PR firm that said, quote, At this time, I cannot explain fully what happened to me last week. I had a host of compelling issues which seemed out of control, issues for which I was unable to address or confine. Please, may I assure you that my running away had nothing to do with cold feet, nor was it ever about leaving John. End quote. Jennifer also went into an inpatient program to address her physical and mental health needs. 
She also said she wanted to help repay the money that she spent on searching for her. Although she did admit to lying and apologize and tried to do what she could to make it right, there was still an investigation going on. And at some point, it became clear to the DA that Jennifer still wasn't telling the entire truth. Newly discovered evidence suggested that Jennifer did, in fact, pre-plan her escape and had been considering it for at least a week. The proof of this included the fact that she purchased the bus ticket a week before she actually left. Mm. Yeah. On April the 26th, she called a taxi right before leaving for her jog, and she took $140 of cash with her. She cut her hair, and then she met up with the taxi who took her to the Atlanta airport, where there's also a Greyhound bus station. And at 10.30 p.m., she got on that bus and rode across the country for two days. And the rest of the story after she landed in Vegas and then went on to Albuquerque all seemed to check out. But the fact was, it did seem like she had planned this, and it wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment, in-the-heat-of-the-moment thing that she did. Right. Jennifer was indicted on a felony count of making false statements and a misdemeanor count of making a false report of a crime. These carried a possible penalty of five years in prison and one year in prison, respectively. The DA said if there was one message he wanted to be loud and clear on, it's that you can't just lie to the police. DA Porter said that sympathy doesn't really play into the decisions he makes, but that on a personal level, he's glad that they weren't investigating some sort of kidnapping and murder, and they were glad Jennifer was home. But as far as charging her with crimes goes, he was just going to follow the evidence and follow the law. The city of Duluth did ask Jennifer to reimburse them for $43,000 of taxpayer money that was used to search for her. Her lawyer's counter offered $13,000, which would cover the overtime hours and out-of-pocket expenses for gas, water, and food. I think that's gross. Just, you did this. I feel like you have to deal with the consequences of it. For sure. The city did accept this offer, and Jennifer paid the $13,000 before the month was even over. Jennifer was arrested, and she took a plea deal offered by the state to avoid jail time. The deal was, if she pleaded guilty or no contest to the felony charge, they would drop the misdemeanor charge and she wouldn't have to spend any time in jail. If Jennifer completed probation, she could have her record expunged. But if she didn't complete probation successfully, she would have to serve the five-year term in jail. And Jennifer accepted this offer. Her plea and sentencing hearing was held on June 2nd. John was in the courtroom with Jennifer and still had plans to marry her when this was all over. Jennifer was even wearing her engagement ring in court. Jennifer told the judge that she was truly sorry for everything she did. She was given two years of probation, 120 hours of community service, continued mental health treatment, and ordered to pay $2,500 in restitution to the Gwinnett County Sheriff's Department. After her sentencing, Jennifer went back to the inpatient mental health care facility for a little while, and at some point, the wedding was either canceled or postponed. But the media continued to report on Jennifer, even though there were still stories about actual missing women that weren't getting any attention. News outlets ran stories about how Jennifer was completing community service and published photos of her doing things like mowing the grass at somebody else's house. On June 16th, word broke that Jennifer and John actually sold media rights to their story to a New York firm in a deal worth over $500,000, which would be $750,000 today. Obviously, this was not well-received news. The city officials were pretty ticked off that they only got paid 13000 of the 40000 they spent on the search, and yeah. now here they are making a $500,000 media deal. The mayor told the Atlanta Constitution, quote, I think it's a shame that anybody could profit from this, end quote. But they did. 
John and Jennifer used the money to buy a house on Hamilton Mill Parkway in Dacula, and Jennifer did not even use any of that money to pay the $2,500 of restitution to the sheriff's office, which that is some nerve. I just don't get it. It just feels like they're giving you like the smallest little things to do. They literally helped you avoid jail time and they definitely didn't have to. Right. Yeah. I just feel like, I feel like the rest of my life I would owe everyone. And so whatever truly anyone walked up to the street to me in the street and was like, you owe me $20, I would just give it to them. I just don't feel like (laughs) I would feel like I needed to pay for this for the rest of my life. For sure. But in May of 2006, the romance between John and Jennifer soured, and they split up for good. John ended up kicking Jennifer out, and she moved into a condo in North Georgia. And later that year, things really hit the fan when Jennifer actually sued John. She claimed that while she was in the hospital and medicated, John obtained a power of attorney, which gave him access to her finances. And she alleged that he was also the one responsible for making this deal with the media agency to sell their story. And then he used the money to buy a house. He did Mm -hmm. all of these things, according to her, while she was on medication and hospitalized. Once she was released from the treatment center, Jennifer moved into the new house. But then John kicked her out in May and wouldn't give her half the money, which she, of course, felt like she was entitled to because this was half her story. Jennifer wanted half the media contract worth $250,000 plus another $250,000 in punitive damages. My gosh. Yeah. And she had a long list of household items that she wanted, such as the washer and dryer, lamps, chairs, all kinds of things, which she said were gifts from her parents, and she thought that they were rightfully hers. John, in return, countersued Jennifer and denied stealing the money. He also said that he should be the one to receive money for the emotional distress of being left at the altar. (laughs) Buddy, this has been a while now. You decided to stay with her, right? Sorry, bud. So in January of 2007, Jennifer and John both dropped their lawsuits. There were no books or movies made out of this media deal. In March of 2008, John married a woman named Shelly at his parents' home in Duluth. And in early 2009, Jennifer started dating a guy named Greg, who she later married, although they divorced kind of recently, back in 2021. Jennifer settled down in Gainesville, Georgia, and in 2015, she began working as an HR director at a telecommunications staffing agency. Unfortunately for Jennifer, her story ended up being a pop culture heyday. By mid-May, after Jennifer was found safe, a private label hot sauce company released a sauce called Jennifer's High Tailin' Hot Sauce. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's much better than Melissa's Wing Shop. Dang. I know. (laughs) (laughs) The owner of Pappy's Peppers told the AP that he sold 10 cases of the hot sauce within three days. He said, quote, I'm in the hot sauce business, and this is the hottest thing I've got right now, end quote, which... Good for him, I guess. Kind of made me laugh. I don't know why that sentence makes me laugh. Other companies also released products poking fun at Jennifer, including a company called HeroBuilders.com, who sold a runaway bride action figure meant to depict Jennifer. The doll was wearing jogging pants and had on a crop top that said Vegas Baby, and the doll also came with a towel in her hand to represent the towel she threw over her head to hide from the press as she was being escorted to the plane in Albuquerque. The owner of HeroBuilders.com said they had over 1 million hits in one day, more than they'd ever had before. In another instance, a man on eBay sold a piece of toast with a rudimentary drawing of Jennifer on it. There were more than 100 bids, with the winning bid being for 
$15,400, although the winning bidder refused to pay. Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my, my gosh. gosh. Did you get a chance, Melissa, to look at the photos of these things? I, might, I may not have sent them to you. Um, I don't know if you saw them in the research that Haley sent, but there was pictures of all these items, the action figure and the toast and... <sighs> all this. And so um, I'm going to send them to you and we can share those on Instagram whenever we release this episode because the action figure is really something to a sight to To behold. behold. Yes. Yes. And the toast, the toast too. The toast is a little silly, but um, it's all, all of it is a little wild and crazy to me that all that came out of this story. Yeah. It's like people latch onto stories and you know, things, it, pop culture things always happen like this where it comes out of nowhere. You have no idea how, you know, everyone becomes so obsessed with something and, right. and there's a whole thing after it. In March of 2007, the Albuquerque Police Department announced that they were putting up an ad on 10 digital billboards across the city. The ad featured a picture of an officer grabbing the veil of a bride who was wearing a wedding gown and running shoes. Above the picture, the ad read, quote, Running away from your current job? Call APD recruiting, end quote. Yikes. The officer in the photo was Trish Hoffman. She was actually one of the two officers who were famously photographed escorting Jennifer when she had the towel over her head uh, through the airport in Albuquerque. Police Chief Ray Schultz told the Associated Press, quote, The runaway bride is one of those stories that people across the nation still talk about. We hope we can capitalize off that, end quote. Yikes. That's kind of a really weird thing for the police chief to say. For the police chief, too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, a little strange. We hope we can capitalize off that. Like, I know. Please keep that thought. That's a thought that that's shouldn't have inside. left your brain. Yeah, that's yeah. an inside thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the ones you don't say out loud. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, I guess unless she, like, stiffed them money, and then I could see them being like, all right, well, I guess we're going to do this, and we'll make it back this way. But yeah. um, it was the other police department. Wow, that's – I remember – do you remember this happening? I don't really, but I did remember the part when I got to about looking at that picture with the towel on the head. That was kind mm-hmm. of a vague thing that I did remember. But otherwise, I didn't really remember a lot of details about this one. Yeah. I feel like I might have known about it after it kind of happened and then like the towel in her head and all that stuff Then being like, what? Because there was an interest to it. Like, why on earth would you have run away? Then you think there's like some huge secret. Right. Which there wasn't. It's just she panicked with all those people coming to her wedding. And you just wish there would have been someone in her life that said, hey, are you stressed out? Right. <laughs> can I help you? Do you need someone to what talk to? What can we do for you? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Real quick, I also wanted to mention that Sarah Turney with Voices for Justice is actually going to be covering the story of Nikki McCrown in the next few weeks. So make sure you're subscribed to Voices for Justice, which you should be anyway. And then that way you'll know when this episode comes out and you'll learn more about Nikki and her disappearance. I'll have a link in the show notes. That show is really incredible. Our researcher, Haley, also works with her. It's nice to be able to talk about a story yeah. that she's going to be doing and maybe direct people in, uh, in, in that way as well. Perfect. All right, Melissa. Are we going to turn the page and get into the last thing before we go? Let's do it. Okay, so this week we talked about A Runaway Bride, which made me think Julia Roberts. And then did you come up with this to do synopsis of Julia Roberts' movies? And I did come up with this. I'm nice. very proud of the uh, the one idea I've ever had. Yes. Hey, that's good. I gave you like several ideas. 
not good. And uh, and you came up with this one. So I like this. So I'm giving Mandy synopsis of a Julia, Julia Roberts movie. She was famously in Runaway Bride. Sorry, Mandy, you can take Runaway Bride off the table. I did not give you the synopsis for that. Well, I want and- to know that after I suggested this and you said yes, I started thinking, I'm like, how many Julia Roberts movies do I even know? And then I realized I actually don't know that many. So this will be interesting because I didn't look them up. I totally just... I was like, no, we're just going to do this. I'm just going to embarrass myself yet again. It's okay. I honestly, I was surprised at how many movies she has. Like, I I know she's a huge actress. I know all these things. But I just didn't, I forgot about some of these. So I think I picked ones that I I don't feel like I went too specific. I think you have a a fighting chance with these. All right, you ready? Sure. First one. A London bookstore owner whose humdrum existence is thrown into romantic turmoil when a famous American actress appears in his shop. Oh. Think British. Think Hugh Grant. Okay, I, I can picture the movie, but I can't think of the name of it. The second word is hill. The first word is <laughs> nodding. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. That's probably why I don't remember it. There you go. Notting Hill. Yeah, that's I, – I don't think I ever saw it either. Just see Hugh Grant When you movie. said Hill, I, I was like, well, I know it's not Silent Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, Mandy. There you go. Okay, next one. A woman thought she had everything she wanted in life, a home, a husband, and a successful career. Now, newly divorced and facing a turning point, she finds that she's confused about what's important to her. Daring to step out of her comfort zone, she embarks on a quest of self-discovery that takes her to Italy, India, and Bali. Oh, wait. Is this that – wait. Is this the – You got it. Eat, pray, love? Yay. <laughs> Yay. Good job. <laughs> nice job. Also haven't seen that. I haven't either, but I, I at least knew enough about it. Very good. It. Very yeah. good. Okay. Here's kind of a similar one. After faking her death in order to flee from her violent husband – This woman leaves Cape Cod, moves to Iowa, where she adopts a new identity and starts dating a local teacher. Also, I will add that she would, he, her ex-husband would keep all the cans turned, like facing the front. And the way she found out that he had like found her is she opened her cabinets and they had all been facing front so she realized he was like on to her and found where she was hiding. I feel like I've seen this. This is a good movie. I like this movie. I've definitely seen it, but now I don't know what it is. Sleeping with the Enemy. Oh, it's been a long time since I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, that's a that's good movie. That's a really good movie. Yeah. I might have to rewatch that. Okay, next one. I got two more. This is a thriller about a young law student whose legal brief, that's going to come up later, about the assassination of two Supreme Court justices causes her to be targeted by killers. She realizes just how accurate her accusations have been when her lover and mentor is murdered. I don't have a clue on that one. <laughs> I think Denzel Washington's in this one. This is the Pelican Brief. Oh, that sounds yeah. like a good one. Yeah, it's like it's a pretty famous one, but I have not seen that one either. I, and that's what I'm one, saying. I feel like I know I haven't seen a lot of Julia Roberts movies. Yeah, that's okay. Not as many um, as I thought I had. I love. Oh, I didn't do my best friend's wedding, but I love that one. That one's good. All right, last one. A New York cabbie is an expert on paranoid conspiracy theories. He's also infatuated with the government lawyer who permits his attention because he once rescued her from a mugging. What is this movie? What? I said the title in the synopsis. 
a New York cabbie is an expert on paranoid conspiracy theory. Paranoid conspiracy theory? Just two words. Conspiracy theory. Oh. Uh, it's with Mel Gibson. It That's a good movie, too. I liked that movie years wow. ago when I watched it. Yeah. Wow. I am... I am shocked and not shocked that I didn't know most of those. Quite honestly, I think you did pretty good. I was I impressed. I, yeah. I'll take one out of four or however many you did. I think it might have been six. <laughs> <laughs> one out of four. <laughs> Before we go, we're going to be playing a promo for Strictly Stalking. Try saying that three times fast, but definitely listen to it at least three times, but on like the one speed. I've been listening to things on one and a quarter lately and it just confuses me. Um, So listen to them. They will be on their promo be on just a second. All right, guys, that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Hey guys, I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. We're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Strictly Stalking. Brought to you from podcast one. Each week, Strictly Stalking gives stalking survivors the platform to share their stories in their own words. Do you know why survivors refer to stalking as murder in slow motion? Have you ever felt like you were being hunted by a stranger? Would you know where to turn if a stalker was living in your house and you didn't know? We're bringing you these stories to raise awareness about stalking and give you the resources to know what to do if you or someone you know is being stalked. So tune in to Strictly Stalking each week as we dive into the largely unknown crime of stalking. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite true crime podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.